0: Well, thank you, gentlemen. Let's continue our worship now as we turn to the Word of God and grab your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 23. We return to our study in Exodus 23. That's where we left off last time. You are visiting with us, another welcome to you, and if you need a Bible to follow along with, just look in the racks in front of you. Please, by all means, take one of those, go to the second book, 23rd chapter, the book of Exodus. So again, we are returning to this study this morning, where we've been working our way through the law of God, that's what we've been working through, particularly As you kind of look down by way of overview, 21, 22, 23, particularly the case laws as given to Moses on Mount Sinai. By case laws, remember, we are referring to very specific circumstances and cases described and the laws ascribed to them. Hopefully that rings a bell. These are meant to provide historical cultural examples of how God's principles, his transcendent eternal principles, were applied to ancient Israel at that time. In other words, you could say it this way, by case laws, we mean actual circumstances that Israel would encounter in that time frame, in that time stamp. So, for example, we've looked at what? Case laws for slaves, remember that? Very much an ancient thing for cases for oxen and donkeys, remember that? Specific cases, sojourner cases, fields and so on. We looked at all of those. And our passage today will present to us again with more ancient examples. More imprints of the transcendent eternal law manifesting itself in ancient Israel. We will look at, for example, Sabbath rest and its various frequencies. It gets expanded a little bit here in this part of the law. We will see some feasts from ancient Israel and their frequency. Often, maybe as you're reading God's word, you have that you read the law and you wonder about so many of these feasts. We're going to look at them today, three of them, as they appear in this portion of God's word. And as we become accustomed to, we're looking at rest and feast today, but even more than that, beloved, and we've, I pray you've become very accustomed to this, in the law, we will learn about our God. That's what you're going to learn about the most in the law of God, the God of the law. This law, as we'll see today, reveals his person, it reveals his nature, it reveals his character, and I think we realize this is nothing new in our study. So let's look at our passage for today, and we're going to see the same thing. We're going to start in verse 10, chapter 23, look down with me at verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow. That the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. That your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien May be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering. At the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year shall all your meals appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we consider this law before us, and often, as we do with your ancient law, ancient representation of it, we have questions, and we pray, God, that you would illuminate our eyes, open up our minds to your word. Help us understand it, help us receive it, and help us by the grace that only you give. Help us to apply and live it for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Let's turn our attention now to verse 10 and a portion dealing with, this is your first point this morning, rest, rest, verse 10. Now, As we think of rest, of course, it's referred to as Sabbath in the law. We need a brief refresher on the Sabbath before we deal extensively with the text here. And this will be helpful, I pray, in a number of fronts. Remember the Sabbath we encountered in the Ten Commandments. Do you remember that? In the Ten Words, we've looked at this. Turn back to Exodus 20, in fact. Exodus 20, remember in the spring we studied the Ten Commandments and looked at each of these ten words from our Lord, but remember the fourth word dealt with Sabbath. Let's refresh ourselves in verse 8 to 11. God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Six days, look at it, God's law says, you are to labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, that is a day, look at it, that's set aside to the Lord. Specifically, look at the text, a Sabbath to the Lord. That's direction, to the Lord your God. Now we recall to mind a few important aspects of Sabbath. Again, this is very essential as we anchor our understanding this morning. We recall to mind this. Number one, the word Sabbath, look at it, means to rest, to desist, to cease from work. That's at the heart of what that word means. Six days, God's law says you labor. God's law can't be more explicit, right? Six days you labor, but on the seventh day you what? You rest. You rest. God's law makes no concession and noted for 24-7 work. There's no concession here for non-stop work. God's law mandates, market beloved, God's law mandates rest. And I need to say this, maybe just for a few of you, it's no badge of honor to boast about non-stop work. It's the modern boast, isn't it? How are you? I'm busy. It's just unstoppable. I'm busy all the time. I've got tons of things to do. It's no badge of honor to boast about that. Not at all. In fact, we would say this, according to the text and the law of God, it's a law-breaking boast. Right? It's a law-breaking boast to say that I, I just don't stop working. I work all the time. So that's one. Two, and by way of refresher, on the flip side... And secondly, that seventh day, that Sabbath, is not kick back, brain off, do nothing all day, right? We talked about that. That's the flip side. Others say, well, I get that. I need rest, and I'm just kicking it back on that seventh day. No. Beloved, that's laziness, right? That's laziness. Let's call it what it is. That's not Sabbath. That's sloth. In fact, look again at the law in chapter 20, verse 10. The seventh day, look very carefully here, is a Sabbath, what? To the Lord your God. Do you see that? That's not just direction, that's intention. That's Sabbath unto the Lord. This break from the common days is a dedication, and here it is, mark this, an activity to the Lord. Do you see that? It's an activity to the Lord. It is a holy day set aside unto Yahweh. Now, we're going to come back more to this later. By way of refresher, we just need to get it back in our minds. So that's two. Thirdly, the principle of Sabbath rest did not start with the law. I want you to look at verse 11. Jerry took us to Genesis this morning. Genesis 3, if we were to go even further back than that, and all of these great things in the book of Genesis with origins. There's a key origin that we need to see. But if you look at, if you're still in Exodus 20, look at verse 11. Remember the key for, the because. This is the basis for why is Sabbath important in God's law. Here it is, verse 11, why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. The sea and all that is in them, and what? Rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the pattern at creation. At creation, Genesis 1 is God did six days' work, one day rest. As our Creator did, so do created. Do you see that? As did Creator, so do created. So God's people at this point would be very familiar with the call to Sabbath. God's creative example, Genesis 1. God's law to reinforce, here in Exodus. Sabbath would be, for God's people, a rhythm of life. More than a law for them, in one sense, it's the rhythm of life. Work and rest, work and rest. Now we've, we mentioned here back in chapter 20... That Sabbath was active, it is an active day. Meaning, and here is the key, remember this, we have to fight for rest, biblical rest. That is true dedication to the Lord. Is that not true? We have no problem with our own rest, in a sense, right? Dictating the terms of what we would do when we unplug. We have to fight for true biblical rest that is a dedication unto the Lord. And that is rest in Yahweh. That's the point. Our tendency to extremes so often causes us to miss the point of Sabbath. Is it any wonder that so many people are mystified about Sabbath, what they're to do? Because we love the extremes. Do everything, do nothing. At first and foremost, we must remember with Sabbath, it is the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. We do not dictate the terms. God does. We do not define rest. Listen, God does. And Sabbath rest begins with taking one day of seven and devoting it, note it, completely to the Lord. Not partially, completely to the Lord. Again, not taking lightly, if we could say this too, not taking lightly one day of seven. You hear this so often, especially in contemporary society, do you not? Here it is. God understands how busy I am, right? Have you heard that with Lord's Day? We're going to church and dedicate. We're gonna have a lunch and have the brethren together. No, no, I'm just busy. I've got so much to do. Those six days weren't enough. I'm just so busy. And again, it's not zoning out one day of seven and doing absolutely nothing. We talked about the wonderful sweat of Lord's Day. You know what I'm talking about? You have a meal to prepare. You have hospitality that you're just brimming, you can't wait to bring, and you're sweating it out, and you're working in that sense, because it's a day dedicated to the Lord. And then I ask you often, is that not refreshing to be with the beloved? Of course. Of course. No, our efforts that day, our efforts in rest are for the Lord. That's the difference with society today. Sabbath is about a day and a time frame. And we're going to see this today. And it's about a time frame with a purpose. That's the thing. I want us to really put these two together. We live in an age where rest has no purpose. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's just no purpose to rest. Just unplug and do nothing. With Sabbath, with Yahweh, rest is all about intention. And all about purpose. And as God's people, we need to nestle that in our soul. And and not only that, it's devoting that rest fully to the Lord. That's Sabbath. That's what we're talking about with Sabbath. With that review in mind, let's consider the text before us. Now let's go back to 23. Let's just consider the text before us. Verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. The Sabbath principle we see here is much bigger, do you see this, than us or weekly rest? Do you see this? This is a a cosmic principle of God's law of rest. I want us to see this here, right in the text. It's much bigger than us. Sabbath is a creation principle, remember that, it's a creation principle, which means all of God's creation requires and benefits from Sabbath, do you see that? All of God's creation benefits and requires Sabbath, and that includes, look at verse 10 and 11, the land itself, yes, the land, God says here, the land requires a Sabbath, do you see that? Here, it is a Sabbath rest after six years of being tilled and worked. God says, look at verse 10, for six years sow that land, gather its yield. For six years, my people, work the land, work it. But for the seventh year, verse 11, look, let it rest. In The seventh year, let it lie fallow. That just simply means don't cultivate it. Let it rest. That's what fallow means. To let soil lie fallow is just to let it do what it's going to do. Let it lie uncultivated. Now, I want you, beloved, is so often as you see the character of God in his law, the purpose of God in his law, I want you to think with me for a moment. And I want you to consider this principle applied to economies today. Can you just think with me for a moment? I mean, I want you to insert any economy, business, business, Big tech, Walmart or Wall Street. Six years, do you work, in seventh, shut it down, right? Just shut it down. It's amusing, isn't it? We can't even get far with that thought. It's bombastic to the world. The seventh year, just stop. The seventh year, just let it all rest. There's business to do. There's money to be made. What will make this go round? You'd be laughed out of town. Of course, and we need to mention that, those economies are often, if not always, not God's. They're not of God. And that's why they need to go 24-7, right? They're not of God. And when it comes to His, though, His creation, His land, here is the majestic beauty of it. Who's the designer? God is And this is his design, and it's perfect. As such, as omnipotent, sovereign creator, he knows what works. He knows what's best. And it turns out, not surprisingly, that a seventh year of rest is just what is needed. I enjoyed, and I encourage you to do so. I had a conversation with our resident farmer, Dustin, recently. And he will tell you, with all the passion that Dustin has... They recognize, a true farmer like Dustin recognizes, the best thing you can do for your soil in the long term is, guess what? Have a year where it lies fallow. He was telling me, he's just fascinating. I mean, I could go on all morning. I just, it's just so infectious when you talk to him about farming. And said, man introduces things like killing the microorganisms, spraying and doing all that. That's what man does. Man and his genius kills what God creates. And God says, on this particular this year of rest, let it lie fallow, because that's the best thing for your crops. Isn't that amazing? That's the Bible in 3D, is it not? It's true. And any good farmer like Dustin will tell you that. If you want good crops year 1 to 6, let it lie fallow. Because that's the way the designer did it. It's amazing. I just sometimes have to sit back at modern man and all their pretensions and all their knowledge. All their insecticides, and all their herbicides, and all their sprays, and all their techniques. Nothing compared to the Grand Designer. Now with an eternal creator God, he says, let it rest. Now listen to me. That takes patience, doesn't it? Could you imagine? For one full year, let it rest. Be patient. And here it is, trust in the Lord's way. What's going on in month four? Just getting antsy. I want to till the land. No, no, no. Trust the Lord. Right? Trust the Lord for the whole year. Let it lie fallow. You can see how often God's law collides with our so-called sensibilities. But this again shows the heart and character of our God. Consider the reasons why God would command this. In verse 11, look at it. We're told, this is amazing, it is so that the poor may eat. And not only that... The beasts of the field, too. Don't miss God here. Now, that doesn't mean they don't eat the other six years. Let's just be clear about that. We've already peeked in on Leviticus 19. Remember, we see that in God's law is the instruction to leave the fringes, leave the fallen grapes, leave that for the poor, the sojourner. So we know that they're regularly being provided for. So this is not uh, a law to say, well, oh, I remembered them on the seventh year and don't forget them. They haven't eaten for six years. That's not what this is saying. This just reveals the heart of God for those here it is that cannot manage their own fields, right? Those that cannot manage their own fields There's a degree of commonality in that seventh year on the uncultivated field. They don't live off fallen grapes every year. The Sabbath year, the Sabbath year, they are like rest. It's a rest. And they enjoy the uncultivated land. One imagines the many protests, again, of just letting land sit for a whole year. And I want you to consider the words of Israel's sovereign God. i just read to you. By the way, these principles of Sabbath are repeated at least two other times in the law. I'm going to read you one of them. You can mark it or you can turn there. Leviticus 25 extended passage that really this is what's helpful about studying all of God's word together not only amplifies what we see here but it's going to give us more Leviticus 25 note this one to seven the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying speak to the people of Israel and say to them when you come into the land that I give you the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord so note that very similar language right Verse 3, for six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land. And then note this, a Sabbath to who? To the Lord. Same language. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. You see that? It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. In other words, don't do that. Let it lie. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you. Look at Yahweh providing. For yourself, for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You can just imagine the landowner What about me and my wife and my home and my animals and on and on and on? And Yahweh here says, it will provide. I have it. It will provide. Amazing. If we were to continue and read the last few verses, this section, verse 18, listen to this even more. Yahweh says, verse 18, Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. Great principle there, by the way. Follow God, obey his word, and you dwell securely. Do you see that? The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill, your fill, and dwell in it securely. And if you say, and you can imagine someone saying this, well, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we can't sow or gather a crop, right? That's the human cry. What will we eat? I will command my blessing on the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. You see that? Not just one year. I'm going to give you three. I'm going to take you to year nine. Look at this. Verse 22. When you sow in the eighth year, you'll be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. This is just astonishing, is it not? With <laughs> God God takes our finances. What about the seventh year and what am I going to eat? He says, look, I have a plan for three years. Trust me, God says. I will provide for you. Just do it my way. And in the land you will dwell securely. What a great encouragement for us. God's plan is bigger. I I, I just love that. He's far outstripped year seven. He's on year eight and year nine. That's our God. Let the land rest as the creator intended. And speaking of the creator's design and perfect knowledge of his created, as we go back to Exodus, 23, consider what we learn next in verse 12. Look, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be, note that word, refreshed, great word. Sabbath rest is not just best for the soil, but best for the ones tilling it. Do you see that? Good for them too. Again, we covered this in the spring, but we need the reminder here, we have six common days to work, but only one holy day to rest. And not just us. Look at verse 12. The ox, the donkey, the hired help, so that they all would gain rest. And note this, not just rest, note the word at the end of verse 12, that they may be what? Refreshed. Yes, here we see now, we begin to unpack in God's law the multifaceted dimensions of Sabbath. There's so much we can say about Sabbath, and we will, as we'll be back to it, of course, later in Exodus. But here we see primarily a day set aside unto the Lord for full devotion to Him. But here with that, we see the residual benefits to our frail frames. Listen, the oxen were strong, but even oxen, as strong as they are, still need what? Refreshment. They need refreshment. So too, any human being that works, practically, they need to rest and refresh. In the Sabbath, God mandates that. God says, I command refreshment. Only in a day and age like today do we recognize the force of that. I command refreshment. Because on your own, you will not do it. God mandates it. Later in Exodus, by the way, just note this, when God... Again, brings up the Sabbath. I just want to read this to you, but listen very carefully. Chapter 31, verses 12 to 18. Again, Sabbath comes up again later in this book. Verse 12, The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Note that. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. In other words, set you apart. In other words, here is the sign. You are going to do a rhythm of life differently. Do you see that? That's what Sabbath represents. That's why you're different here this morning, by the way. New Testament principle. Your rhythm of life on a Sunday morning is to be with God's people. Same principle we see here, that God says that I would sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And how serious is this, Exodus 31? Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Listen, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. And then the therefore, verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. And here it is. Note this. God says, he reminds that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That's of Yahweh. The pattern setter, so to speak, there. The creative rest. Rest. So we note this as we think about Sabbath rest. Again, God sets the pattern for us in Sabbath. He works, rests, and is refreshed, Exodus 31 tells us. So too we, Westmount. We rest so that we can keep working for the Lord. But we rest first and foremost as we follow the pattern of our Creator. God pauses here, by the way, in verse 13. You can look at it to remind his people of who is defining these terms. This happens so often you'll find in God's law with these laws that are just cutting against our sensibilities. You'll often get God just put the pause button as if to say, remember who's defining the terms. I know you don't like it. Jeremy was reminding many of us downstairs this morning, remember? Often we don't like the truth of God's word if we're being honest, right? Right? But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's true. And often we need the reminders of who's defining truth, because our flesh wants to go sideways. And again, I would suggest that we see how important this is in any age, not just today, but for ancient Israel. I mean, consider our struggles with work parameters, rest, and motivation. We don't like anyone defining that for us. Don't mess with my leisure and rest. In our humanness, we can lose sight of the who and the why. And this is so important. God here in his law takes a whole verse to call his people to attention. Look at verse 13. Pay attention to all that I've said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Pay attention. Do not name another god on your lips. In other words, in context, it doesn't matter what standard of work and rest is around you, Israel. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're going into into Canaan. It doesn't matter what you came out of of Egypt. None of those gods and their false systems shall escape your lips. Only my economy, Yahweh says. Only my way. If there will be an utterance off your lips, it's going to be my way, Yahweh says. Church, how often do we need these wake-up calls? How often do we need these stark pay attentions? Well, how we get caught up. Is this not true with the gods and the systems and the processes around us? I was talking to a brother this week, an elder at another church. Of course, sickness is everywhere, it seems, is it not? And he was testifying very raw, a very raw testimony to say, you know, you hear people say, God slows me down when I get sick, right? You've heard that. And he said with tears in his eyes, he's like, I will never say that again. It's so much more than God slowing down a busy life, he said. God took my busy soul and said, you depend on me alone. You think you can run around and solve everyone's problems and do this, that, and the other. I will bring you to your knees so that you recognize who you truly depend on. My word, how that comes to life for so many of us these past few weeks, does it not? Rest is so much more than, you know what, I need a break And thank you God for letting this happen so I can take a break. No. Sabbath rest says everything is about Yahweh. And are you orienting your life around the one true God? Every breath in those lungs, every blood through that heart is because of me. Do you know that? Yahweh says. Sabbath rest says I remember creation in your word. You created me, you created this, you define the terms. That's rest. True Sabbath rest is a reorientation and a recognition of who the Creator is. And where we find our rest. It's not a break. It's a devotion back to Him. It's rest. Sabbath is rest that says, I depend on you, God. Rest that recognizes God makes the plans. This is rest for those around you. In church, we ask in light of this task, text, what is refreshment in your weekly, yearly rhythm? I, I ask you this this morning, from my heart, where are you finding rest these days? What is your rhythm of Sabbath? Are you feeling tired? What is your rhythm of rest? Unless your refreshment is demonstrating practical trust in God's sovereign plans for your lives, listen to me, you're not resting. You're running and running and running and running, and you don't understand why you're so tired and why you're not refreshed. Because rest has nothing to do with Yahweh and everything to do with you. No, God's creation rests His way. That's rest. Let's look at feast to wrap. Feast. We've looked at rest. Let's look at feasts. Three feasts in particular outlined here. Of course, the law contains more, but you will see as it relates to weekly, yearly rhythms, these make sense. Let's read them. Take a closer look. Verse 14. Three times in the year you should keep a feast to me. You should keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you should eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. You should keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering. The end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor, three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. We've already been introduced to look at the first feast there, the feast of unleavened bread. Now back, remember, during the first Passover. Do you note Exodus 13? Do you remember that? As Israel was fleeing Egypt, do you remember, Yahweh instituted this memorial feast. Unleavened bread, no leaven in the bread. There's no time for that. I'm about to deliver you from Egypt. And you're going to mark this feast for seven days following the Passover. And remember, it was a memorial feast for Israel for that time. Memorial feast to mark the quick exit out of Egypt. That was unleavened bread. Again, there was no time to lose, no time to wait for bread to rise. They were being freed. The seven-day feast of unleavened bread directly followed the Passover, as mentioned. And Israel was called to mark the feast. This is in their law, at the appointed time of Abib. And you say, well, what is that? Abib means green grain. It's the earliest grain that would be popping up for harvest. Appearing in the first month of the Hebrew calendar akin to our April. That's what Habib would have been. This first feast was at the beginning of the year, the beginning of the Israel calendar, at the most important time of the year. Passover was that, then unleavened bread, the most important time for the Israelite, marking their deliverance from bondage. That was the feast. And that gave way, within a month or so, look at the second one, to the Feast of Harvest. That took place in late May, early June, during the Hebrew month of Sivan. So now you're, again, well into the spring, and it's also known, by the way, as the Feast of Weeks. You see that in Exodus 34, and we'll learn more about it there. It was a feast that marked, here it is, the first fruits of harvest. So the very first crops that would pop up and be ready for harvest. This is what's in view, and God says, mark it. Of course, because those first fruits are given to who? The Lord. The first fruits were His. And this memorial feast marked that reality. Who gave the crops? Yahweh did. Thus, first fruits are His. This memorial feast marked that. Then later, the third, in September and October, during the Hebrew month of Tishri, there would have been the Feast of In Gathering, And you know this also is the Feast of Booths. See this pop up in John 7. This feast marked the harvest and here it is, the full yield of a year of plenty. That's what this feast commemorated. Now listen, these three feasts marked, this is really important, so you think about feasts. This is what they marked and why they're showing up here together. They marked the spine of the year for Israel, the beginning of the year, with the three key tent poles of the year, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, a feast to remember your deliverance. This is what sets your calendar, Israel, that you've been delivered. The Feast of Harvest, a feast to mark the first fruits of your ground. God's delivered you and God's providing for you. And thirdly, the Feast of gathering, a feast to remember the fruit of your labor, which ultimately comes from who? Yahweh. Do you see what Yahweh is doing? He's instituting in their calendar, in their life rhythm, memorials that orient their hearts where? How amazing agriculture is? How, what wonderful farmers they are? What is it? It's to recognize Yahweh, the deliverer, the provider, the gatherer. And here are the details you can't miss. Look at verse 17. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. That would have been the tabernacle soon to be built and later the temple. And with these feasts, the call is, look at this, not just to feast in your house and enjoy it. Can we really grab this? This is not just feast in your house, enjoy it. No, the feasts, the feasts are where the family heads appear, the males before the Lord God. This is not personal feasting. Do you see this? This is not just, you know, crack that pinata out in your house and just have at it, have a personal feast. This is not do it up and do it your way, however you do it in your house. No, beloved, no. The feast with God is a feast before him. It is completely with him in view. You know, I marvel. My sons take American classes, as some of you know, and you get American Thanksgiving things that come across your path, right? It is astonishing to me. And you have this in Canada too. How many times Christians need to be reminded, and you know this, you hear it. We need to remember Thanksgiving is every day. We need to remember that we give thanks to God, right? What? We're told this all the time. Christians are being reminded that you don't just feast on turkey and and football and a family get-together. Christians need to be exhorted that when you're doing Thanksgiving, you remember God. Beloved, I ask you this. If that is so true today, how much more powerful is this text for us right now? How often do we just want to feast and forget about God? Well, thank you for that holiday. Thank you for that stat. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. Biblical feasting says you gather together in a place corporately with others. Why? To remember Yahweh. That is feasting. No Super Bowl party. No just grand indulgence is anywhere near biblical feast. To God. To Yahweh. Is He the fulcrum and the focus of your gathering together? Do we need to be reminded it's all Him? And that's why, by the way, I press that point because you're going to wonder about verses 18 and 19, and let's look at them. God needs to remind His people in a pagan land of four specific parameters of feasting. Look at this. Verse 18, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Incredible. Incredible. You look at this and you're probably wondering, as you should what does this all mean? And these final feast requirements seem odd to our modern eye. But listen, it very much would have had a force for the ancient Israelite reading this law. Especially one delivered from Egypt going to Canaan. Each one of those, in verse 18 and 19, speak to a parameter of feasting, here it is, that has nothing to do with Yahweh. You see that? What you're seeing in these two verses is nothing to do with God, and God says, separate. Because everything about feasting in 18 and 19 is of the pagan culture that Israel was entering into. So, for example, number one, it was the pagan that offered sacrifices with leavened bread. God says, not you, Israel. That's not how you offer sacrifices. Not blood with bread there. No, 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 not you. Two, it was the pagans that left the fat and the leftovers until the morning. Do you remember this from when we studied the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread? Yahweh says, No, I provide everything you need for what? That moment, that feast. The flesh hoards. God says, Take what I've given to you and consume it all in that moment. You're different, Israel. Three, the pagan would never have kept the first fruits for their gods. They would have given just token leftovers. That's the thing with pagan sacrifice. Yahweh. Yahweh is different and said, the first fruits are mine. You give them to me. And fourthly, the pagans, if you can believe it, boiled young goats in their mother's milk. This is the way that they sacrificed. That's what they did. That's what that verse means. That's what they did in Canaan. And of course, Yahweh says what? Not you. Not you. That's not how you feast to me. Not that way. Listen, all of these were hallmarks of pagan feasting. And it was Canaan's way, but not God's way. God in his law here says you need to redefine feasting completely. Just like you need to re-understand what it means to rest completely. Do you see that? Rest is letting the ground lie fallow, trusting me for provision and refreshment. Feasting is not offering to self. Feasting is putting Yahweh front and center. Gathering for Him, not for us. Feasting says, verse 14, three times in the year you shall keep a feast to who? Yahweh says to me. Feasting says, verse 17, you shall appear before me, the Lord God, not you. That is true rest and a true feast. God's way, not ours. No, we have no sense of rest. And only a selfish notion of feast. That is why Atticus read earlier Colossians 2. When you think about rest, Sabbath, and you think about feasts, we're reminded in the New Testament that these things were merely what? A shadow. They're merely a shadow. We can't get it right now. They certainly didn't get it right then. They were a shadow for a time, for Israel. But they pointed forward And that's why we need the substance of the shadow, the substance of rest and feast, which is who? Jesus Christ. Because we don't know how to rest and feast. Is that not true? We have no idea how to rest and how to feast. We cannot rest apart from Christ. That's because, here it is, we cannot rest apart from Christ because Christ is our work read Hebrews 10 parts of Hebrews 10 this morning he is our work that's why we can draw near not because of something we've done but because of all of what Christ has done his sacrificial work is the only work that can earn us any true rest i hope you know that this morning to attempt to rest anywhere else but in Christ alone is futile work because there is no rest for that work do you hear me there is no rest for that work and that's the great paradox. Hear me, there's no rest outside of Christ. Oh, how we try, don't we? Oh, how we labor and get on that hamster wheel and want to work and we want to earn and find favor. But there's no rest for that outside of Christ. In church, there's no feast apart from Christ. That's because Christ is our feast, He's the substance. We need not remember the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It doesn't apply to us. We only remember what Jerry took us through this morning. We only remember the deliverance from sin and the wrath of God. What do you remember in Christ? You will not have wrath poured out on you. We need not remember the Feast of First Fruits because Christ was the first fruits for us. Yes, Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, guaranteeing ours. Can you grab that? You will overcome the grave because of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.20, because of the first fruits. And that's why we mark Resurrection Sunday. And the Feast of in gathering, the Feast of Booths, is no longer necessary. Israel no longer needs to remember the gathering in the wilderness because God's people no longer need to gather temporarily in temporary shelters year to year because we are now the body of Christ. Right? We gather here like this morning, but we are one body. No, the fullness of the harvest is come, and He, Christ, not us, is gathering. Christ the King has come and is calling the weary to rest in Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, says the Savior. Christ the King has come and is calling His own to feast in Him. That's the point of Colossians 2. To be joined, nourished, and knit together as one body with a growth from God. Is that not a picture? That's a feast. That's a feast. That's our ongoing feast in the body of Christ. That's rest and feast. Oh, how we seek it. But it's impossible outside of Jesus. The law pointed to Christ, and now He's come. And only now can we have true Sabbath rest and the true Savior's feast. In him alone. Father, we thank you that you have given true rest and true feast in Christ. We thank you, Father, that we no longer need to labor in such futile ways, Lord, not just for earthly rest and a break and our own sense of refreshment, that we no longer need to labor, as futile as it was, to be made right with you. We thank you that you have sent the substance Jesus Christ, we can rest in Him. We can recognize Him as our feast. Lord, help us to do so in these days as we are so tempted to redefine these things according to our way. God, help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.